Well, friends, we are diving in today to our weight series. And this series is really, um, I mean, when the Lord put this series and title on our hearts back in the fall, I mean, I just keep going back to it. We could not have known this was coming, right? We just couldn't have known what was about to happen. And knowing that God has gone ahead of us, there should be a tremendous amount of comfort that God is speaking from his word into your life, into your circumstance, and he remains Lord over all these things. Today, we are gonna talk about Abraham and Sarah and the 25 years it took for the promises of God to come to fulfillment for them, the waiting that they went through. But before we dive in, um, I don't know if you've ever heard this term. I want it done yesterday. If you know me, you've heard that before. If you know me or have worked with me in some way, um, I will never forget when, um, when we started construction on the, the building on Maine in Zealand and um, the, the general contractor, Dan Voss, asked, you know, I was standing there with Christopher, who was our project manager from the church, you know, Big Chris, the drummer, um, and, and they're like, you know, when, when are you hoping to get this done? And I was like, yesterday. We need it done right away. And Christopher, when I talked to him about timing, his eyes roll as far back as the teenage girls do. Because I'm like, yesterday, when we started construction on the new foundry building here on Chicago Drive, the, the same question was asked, what is you guys' timeline hope? And I was even more generous then. I was like, we needed it 18 months ago, right? I mean, I just, I don't know how to do the, the slow thing. I want it done yesterday, it's just a mentality that can be toxic and it can show a bit of a frenetic pace that is self-reliant and it's dangerous. I want you to meet somebody today. Their names are Abraham and Sarah. Abraham is the patriarch of the Judeo-Christian faith. In Genesis chapter 12, we see God reach out to this man named Abram. Now, his name changes. I'm going to use Abraham, but in the beginning, it was Abram and Sarai. It became Abraham and Sarah. God changed their names. So I'm going to just use Abraham and Sarah to keep it kind of centered and not get back and forth on it. The patriarch Abraham was, was invited by God to do something that seemed outlandish. God, in Genesis 12, said this, leave your family and your land and come to me to a land that I will give you and to your descendants. Here's the weird thing about this. Abraham would have been about 75 years old. That's a weird time of life to pick up and move to take a new land unless you're going to Florida to get a condo or to Arizona, right? But he's like, pick up and leave. But in the ancient world, and this is the ancient world, what we know is this, family was your security. Now, Abraham was a wealthy man, but here's the deal. Other people could hire those employees, and they may not be that loyal to you. Family is always loyal. Family is your protection. And Abraham had no children. He and Sarah had no children. So when God says, leave your family and go into, leave the land of Ur of the Chaldeans and go what God's saying is, is leave all your security and follow me. Follow me into the unknown. 
It's an amazing invitation, but it's terrifying. They left all their security, their nieces, their nephews, their extended family, all their protection would have been left in that land as they followed God. And their family was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And God said to Abraham, who was 75, I will give you offspring that are as numerous as the stars of the sky and as numerous as the sand of the seashore. Abraham's 75 and he doesn't have kids, right? I mean, it just seems unlikely at this point. But Abraham believed God and he packed up his entire world and they left. They left their homeland in pursuit of God, trusting he was leading them. It reminds me, that step they took, it reminds me of something that is central to the living faith of a Christian life um, and something we as the Foundry Church have gone through. We call it the miracle zone. Now the miracle zone is something that I have taught on, I've, I've led our staff on, it's something um, it's something that's very uncomfortable, but here's the basic premise of the miracle zone. The miracle zone means this, that if God doesn't get involved, everything's gonna basically be a garbage fire. God draws you into a place where it is complete dependence on him showing up and leaning nothing on you. The only thing you do is obey and go into that place of the miracle zone. It's a painful place, it's a frightening place, it's an exhilarating place, but it is an actual place in the soul of the believer who knows that God has spoken to them and called them into a new life, but they don't see how it's gonna happen and none of their abilities or, or influence can get that job done. One of my um, favorite mentors, uh, a guy named Larry Osborne, someone who I have come to really appreciate, made this statement uh, to a group of us the, uh, back in February. He said this, crisis and opportunity never text or call to let you know they're coming over. They show up, so always be ready to obey. Always be ready to obey. Always be ready to obey God into, whether it's a crisis or an opportunity, into a place where if God doesn't show up, your abilities can't save you. Your mastery of any topic, finances or whatever, cannot redeem the situation. Follow God into the miracle zone, a place where God is our only option. He is our only hope. Follow him into that because you quickly come to the end of yourself and you really come to understand that God is not just some little compartmentalized thing we do on Sundays. He is our everything. When we talk about the miracle zones, we have to remember that natural options have failed when you're in the miracle zone. Your natural abilities have failed you. Your, your finances, your influence, your, your skills or your talents, they mean nothing. Nothing of your natural abilities can save the situation. The miracle zone is a place where God is the only option. Now we realize that God is the only option ever. We just build a bubble around ourselves thinking we have this world under control, but we don't. 
So the miracle zone, it's something God called Abram and Sarah into. He's like, come with me into the great unknown, into a place where I will give you offspring and I will make you as numerous as the sands of the seashore. That seemed crazy, but they followed him. And they waited and they waited and they found themselves with time running out. And I want to speak to that in this time, in this day and age. I think it's important for you and for me to tune our ears to what God's saying in this. Don't ever mistake your feeling of urgency. Don't ever mistake your feeling of urgency for purpose from God. Your urgency, your sense of having to do something should, can deceive you into thinking that's your purpose from God. I've got to do this right now. But here's the thing. You feel urgent. I feel urgent. My goodness, I feel urgent all the time, right? I'm like, I, I even, I like there's, there's literally two faces looking at me right now, and I'm like, both of them are like, yes and amen. I feel urgent. I push on things. And there are times where urgency, my urgency, your urgency, deceives us into thinking that's purpose. You feel urgency, and I feel urgency, but God does not. It doesn't mean that your urgency is felt by God. God may put something urgent in your life, but here's the reality. Your urgency doesn't mean that God also feels it. He doesn't feel your anxiety. And Sarah, the wife of Abraham, most likely thought, I had my heart set on this word that came to me when I was 75 years old that God was gonna give us offspring. And all these years later, Nothing is happening. So what can I do? Well, how about I just kind of help it along a little, right? Isn't that what we do? We help things along. We try to find a way to get the ball rolling. I, you know, I know God spoke this, but, you know, it seems like God needs a little help. So, you know, lean in and get the ball rolling. Come up with some solutions. So Sarah came up with a plan. She's many years into a foreign land, following God's word that he spoke to her husband and childless. Again, they were wealthy, so they had servants. And Sarah devised a plan. And based on her perspective, it seemed logical. She goes ahead and says to Abraham, well, I have this servant, Hagar. And since I can't give you a son, maybe she can. And she gives her servant to Abraham. And Hagar becomes pregnant. She was doing what she thought was right. She was hurrying along the plan that God seemed to, in her mind, have forgotten. But what it did was disaster. She was doing what she thought God wanted. God had said, I'll give you offspring to Abraham, and you can even see Sarah. Well, maybe he didn't mean through me, so I don't know what to do. I guess I'll throw, you know, Throw Hagar at him. Let's see what happens. Let's see what goes on. She was being proactive, but she was not being faithful to the word of God. She was not trusting in God's ability to bring to pass what she thought had been forgotten. And so we find ourselves in a moment of terrible timing. Terrible timing. Now, I don't know about you. Do you know anybody who has terrible timing? Like just awkward people, man, just terrible timing. But let's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of give a for instance that is not real. They're not doing this, but it's just a good idea to show you what terrible timing can look like. Um, 
So, you know, if you go to Burger King, right, you go to Burger King, get a Whopper, and, uh, and when you're little, they give you the paper crown. You remember? Yeah, I, I totally wore one. Like, I was one of those kids in the backseat of the car with a crown. Just like, this is awesome. And, um, and I only got a Whopper Junior, but that's a different story. Um, so you get your crown, right? Can you imagine if back in January, Burger King's like, you know, Cinco de Mayo is coming up, the 5th of May, which, um, which is a celebration of Mexican independence. And uh, we should come up with um, a Whopper themed off that. But, you know, we're Burger King and we have the crown. So what if we came up with the Corona Whopper? Like, how bad would that timing be right now if they had planned to launch a Corona Whopper right now, getting ready for Cinco de Mayo? People would be like, oh, such bad timing. It really, I mean, it's a great concept. I think I would try that burger. But most people would be like, is that a virus burger? It seems so bucky to have a Corona burger right now, right? That would be really terrible timing. Abraham and Sarah had terrible timing. In this, they had terrible timing where they proactively tried to solve a problem God had promised to remedy. We find ourselves in Genesis 16. We're going to talk about this real quick and look at it. Because handling things yourself always, always makes things worse. It says in Genesis 16, verse 5, uh, 4, uh, 4 to 6, when Hagar knew that she was pregnant, so remember this is Sarah's servant, when Hagar knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress, Sarah. Then Sarah said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I, it's just such an awkward situation. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she's pregnant, and she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Oh my goodness, can you, I mean, there's awkward family dinners and then there's that. That is weird. So Abraham replies, your slave is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar and she fled. Like think about that. Think about what happened. The result of trying to handle this on their own produced a harvest of bitterness, of hate, of heartache. Like, look at this story. Hagar began to hate and and despise Sarah. Sarah began to hate her back and was ticked off at her husband. I mean, they need some marriage counseling, and we can work through that later. But now she's ticked at her husband and her Abraham's like, what? what? This wasn't my idea. What are you doing? And, and he's in trouble and she's mad. Their marriage is on the rocks. And now we find someone who is owned by Abraham and Sarah, Hagar, is now mistreated so badly that she flees into the unknown because she is being so mistreated, abused. It's a horrible thing. When we handle things ourselves and don't trust in God's timing, we always make things worse. We create problems that seem beyond being reconciled. We don't understand how God could do something. But remember, he's God. He works in supernatural ways, often using natural systems, but he does things above creation. 
Abraham and Sarah had left their home in Genesis chapter 12, and we find them working through years of discontent and heartache of not being given a son, someone to raise up that would give them offspring and fulfill the word of God. They find themselves frustrated, depleted, and lonely. Think of how lonely they were. They left all their friends and family to follow the word of God, and now they're out there on their own alone. And by Genesis 18, it's been 25 years of waiting for the word of God to come to pass in their life, and still no child, still no hope. Maybe they had forgotten by now. Maybe Abraham and Sarah had given up on the hope and the dream of the word of the Lord. Maybe they thought God had forgotten. Maybe they could only see their misery and their frustration and their sorrow. Maybe it was an old memory of hope that Abraham once thought God spoke to him and now he thinks it's silly and he's just alone in a foreign land. Maybe they were really bitter Maybe they were angry and tired because, well, God had led them out and they had even tried to obey his plan with some of their own twists and things had just gone from worse to bad to worse and they're sitting there going, God, what do I do? What do I do with this? Isn't this what you called me to? Enter Genesis chapter 18, verses one and we'll go through 15. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, where he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them. He bowed down very low to the ground, and he said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought to you. You may wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me go get something to eat so you can be refreshed, and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said. Now, I'd just like to remind you, she's 99. Who does anything quick at 99, right? It's like, quick, but he says this, quick. Get three seeds of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd. Again, he's 99. He ran, I just think this is amazing. He ran to the herd, selected a choice tender calf, gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and he set it before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah, they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, 99, will have a son. Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age, biologically, of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself, and she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? So this this person says this to Abraham, and Abraham goes, 
Or he says to Abraham, continuing, I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But the man said, you did laugh. You did laugh. One of the interesting things about these three visitors is um, some of the words around this. They began speaking as though they were God to Abraham, and we believe that these are three angelic beings sent from God to remind Abraham in his most dire moment beyond the, beyond the I mean, he's 99. The promise didn't come true, and he's got to be thinking, man, this has just not worked out. This has just not worked out. Uh, We were wrong, and the angels come and say, this time next year, Sarah is going to have a son. They're speaking in a tense for God. They are speaking on behalf of God. Then the Lord says, is what the scripture says, this time next year I will come and you will have a child. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I love that phrase. I love that line. I remember um, as a little boy, we were in church um, back in the days of of CLC, this church we went to, and my granddad, uh, he always wore a suit coat and looked super sharp in church, and he would stand and he would kind of hold his suit jacket like this. And I remember one time in the middle of a service, there was this quiet moment. And my granddad opened his mouth. And I never, I mean, I saw him sing in church. I never heard it. He never spoke up front. I just remember him saying, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I remember just being little and looking over at him and thinking like, Granddad just talked in church. I don't know if you're allowed to do that, but that seemed pretty profound. I remember it all these years later of him saying that. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, let's just weigh up the difficulty that they're having right now. First of all, for Sarah to have a child is biologically, scientifically impossible. She's 99 years old, and kids, once you have the birds and the bees talk, you will find that there is a window at which women can have children. Sarah was beyond the biological age where she could have children. It was biologically impossible. The time had passed. And when that time had passed, we have to wonder, what did it feel like? The, the um, vacuum of hope that sucked out the last shreds of hope from their life when Sarah was no longer able to bear children. And you wonder, had they given up hope? Had they given up hope? The word of God was spoken, but it didn't come true, at least not for them. Have you given up hope? Have you given up hope? Did God speak something to you and you look at it and say there is no physical real way that this could happen, scientifically, emotionally, whatever, there's no way this could happen, this word of God that was given to me, there's no way it could happen. Go back with me to the miracle zone. You're in the perfect place for God to show up and speak into your desolation the word that he has, which is hope that his word never returns void, that his purposes and his plans for you will not be thwarted. He is God, and when he speaks it, it is so. Just check out the first narrative of Scripture in the creation of all things. He spoke it. When God speaks, it comes to be. But we are limited by time, and we look at it and we know that time matters to us. It matters. We are looking at time linearly. I do not believe that God does. 
God looks in from eternity. Time is something God created. He's not subservient to it. He uses it. He gave us all the numerology that's in the Bible, the seven days being so significant, six days and a rest. And the whole like rhythm of the earth and its seasons, God of course uses time, but God is not subservient to it. God is eternal. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He was, he is, and he will be. He is outside of time. He is God. So remind yourself that when God speaks, it will come to be. But it doesn't mean that it will happen tomorrow. What was yours? What was your promise of God that maybe hope has run off on? What was your promise from God that you have waited for and maybe given up hope on? Indulge me for a minute as I tell a story. Erica and I realized yesterday, weird, um, we realized yesterday something that happened in the same year of our life. Uh, For me, it was uh, during my discipleship training school. I was in Harpenden, England at the Highfield Oval. What up, friends? And um, I was at my my DTS, and I had walked out to this big middle green um, that is there at the Highfield Oval. And um, it was late one evening. I don't remember what day of the week it is. I just remember my posture and my words. I stopped in front of a building that was actually unoccupied. And I was out in the middle of this green kind of facing a building that was, you know, a little 60 yards away. And I just stopped and I looked to heaven and I just said, what do you want from me? What do you want? I don't know. I anything. I had all this turmoil in me. It wasn't the most reverent or appropriate prayer, but it was desperate. I was like, God, I know that if I go back to my former life, I will not follow you. What do you want from me? Give me something. What do you want? And God showed me something in, like showed me a picture in my head, and I knew in that moment what it was. And I said out loud, you want me to be a pastor? I was like, I mean, That is biologically impossible at that point in my life. That is scientifically, spiritually, and biologically not allowed. I was a struggle bus. I was having a hard time morally. I was having a hard time in many areas of my life. So when God spoke to me, I was like, really? A pastor? And I was like, like, you know, kind of like nervously chuckling like, are we going to live in an ironic world? What's going on here? And I, but, I, but I believed. I believed it. And it became the, the driving force of my life. I began to pursue that in my own limited way. I didn't know what was going on. I was 21. My wife, Erica, is about six years younger than I am, if you didn't know that. Um, and she, she was in church one Sunday during this same year. We don't, she doesn't remember what time of year it was. I remember mine was in October uh, when this happened. And she was, she was in church, and she was sitting there, First Reformed Church, right, right up here in Zealand, uh, was where she was raised. She's sitting in church with her family, and uh, she looked across the pews, and she saw Cindy Van Ostendorp, um, Pastor Scott's wife. And the Lord spoke a calling into her life right then and right there. And she knew that she was going to be, she was called to be the wife of a pastor. She knew that. And in that same year, we both received this call. We didn't know each other. We hadn't met yet. Um, and so there's this moment where it's like, you know, okay. 
She didn't understand what that calling would be. She just believed it. I didn't believe my calling possible. You know, I was like, okay, but I will pursue it. If you, God, have said so, I will pursue it. And so we began to pursue it. And there was a long time waiting. It was in 1994 that God spoke that word to me about being a pastor. In 2013, uh, in July of 2013, I was standing with my wife in, uh, at the Highfield Oval there in England on the spot where God had spoken to me. Ironically, the grass had died. <laughs> it had a fungus, so it was all dead. It was kind of sad. But, um, but I'm standing there, and I'm like, this is it. This is where the calling came. This is it. I had just been ordained, finished seminary, and was ordained as a pastor. And in between that 19 years were some of the most fruitful and powerful times in ministry in my life, in Erica's life. We worked together tirelessly. She worked all the time at Vertigo Youth. She was, she was all over it. She was... The kind of the, the heart and the mind of it, driving things and making it happen. We worked together and we worked out in a time of waiting. It wasn't just idle times twiddling our thumbs. It was some of the most fruitful, wonderful times ever. A number of you watching this today are members of the Foundry Church and you knew me not as your pastor, but as your youth pastor. And we had a lot of fun and we had firework wars and we did different things and we were missional and we told people about Jesus and you brought your friends to youth group and they came to know the Lord it wasn't fruitful, wait, uh, fruitless waiting. It was purposeful. Everything in God's plan is purposeful, even if we don't understand it. It took me nine years to finish a three-year seminary program. And I thought, God, why, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And I knew I had to get some disciplines. I knew I had to get some discipline. I look at my wife now, and we work together at the Foundry Church, and she directs the content, the series, the devotion. She does this, and she is called into that role as my wife, and we look at it, and we're like, golly, we could have never done this. We could have never mapped this out, but it was God's plan. It took 19 years of figuring things out and just obeying God. Where are you at in this? What is your word? What's the promise of God for you that you've given hope up? given up hope on. He's not done fulfilling his word. There are promises in scripture. When he says to Peter, you have fished, you know, all your life, Jesus says, but now you're going to fish for men. And Peter became the rock of the church. Actually, another prophecy is when Jesus, when Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus turns to him and he says, your name is no longer Simon, your name is Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, Petros. Petra means rock in um in Greek, and when you look at that, and you're like, wow, that's amazing, and then you realize the truth that happened, that Peter really is the rock. He's the first leader of the church. And you look at the promises of God, and Peter had to think, I'm just a fisherman. And Jesus said, don't see yourself through my eyes. Look at what I see. Look through my eyes, Jesus says. Here's my calling over you. Here's my purposes. Maybe you're a new believer, and you've never had a promise come to you from God. You've never had that spoken over your life. Remember, every calling Every pull into something is a journey of faith based on his timing. 
not yours. We cannot engineer a life of faith. Hear that, church. You cannot engineer a life of faithful obedience. You can only live into it. And in Genesis chapter 21, we see one of the great fulfillments beyond the boundaries of biology, science, medicine, and human possibility. In Genesis chapter 21, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And then the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. I think it should say, well, no, never mind. In his old age, at the very time that God had promised him. Abraham gave the, son, gave the name of his son Isaac to the son that was born to him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son was born to him. A hundred years old. That seems pretty old to start a family unless it's God's plan. It is amazing. Like, even if Sarah and Abraham had the same age difference as Erica and I, she's still 94, man. That's super old to have a baby. I'm sorry, that seems very old to do that. But God's word didn't return void. He fulfilled his word. Sarah said in verse six, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah will nurse children? Yet, I have borne him a son in my old age. Did you catch that? Sarah laughed. Remember a year ago, a year previous in her life, when the angels were visiting Abraham, and she laughed in the tent and was like, what am I gonna have a kid when I'm this old? You know, and she laughed, and then she lied about it. And now, in the fulfillment of God, what do we find? That Sarah laughs, and she invites the world to laugh with her because her joy is complete in what? The fact that she waited and saw the hand of God fulfill what he had promised. Friends, know this. Your life is purposeful, but we have to wait on his perfect timing. We may not understand God's timing, but we can trust his character. Will we be courageously obedient even when we have to wait? And here's the thing. If you won't say yes to it, you'll never get to see the fulfillment of God. You will have to wait in courageous obedience for the word of the Lord to come to pass. He works out his plans and purposes in us. Nothing I want, I want this to be the final words you hear. Nothing is wasted when we trust in God's timing. He is the God who says, I will give you beauty for ashes. I will give you the oil of joy in your time of mourning and grief. Only God can do that. Only God can redeem time spent waiting. Time spent hopeless. God is the God who invites us to believe in his character above and beyond our circumstances. Nothing is wasted when we wait on our faithful God's timing to reach its fulfillment. Pray with me. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word that does not return void and that you, God, are not bound to our limitations. 
you remember that we are just dust and we are limited, yet you love us. So today, God, I pray for courage. Courage for my brothers and sisters, for myself, who are all in a time of waiting. And it may feel for some like hope is fading. It may feel for others like um, they just don't know what to do. But God, today we rest back into the promises you speak. And I ask God, speak to your church. We're mindful of the words of the young boy Samuel who served in the house of God. And when you called to him, he said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. God, that is our prayer today. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. In the quiet of our homes, we're listening. In everything we do, we are listening right now for you to remind us of the hope you gave us earlier or to speak a fresh new word. Give us purpose. Call us in your way, not in ours. And Lord, we thank you for the hope we have in Jesus Christ and the promise fulfilled of a Messiah who would take away the sin of the world. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, a great song, My Heart is Yours. I invite you, sing along as we respond to God's word together. Thank you for joining us today. And I encourage you, I encourage you to wait. Wait on the Lord Trust and see that he is good, that his purposes don't fail. No matter what your circumstances say, they do not speak more authoritatively than the God of the universe who called you his own in Christ Jesus. Church, as we go about a season of waiting, do so not in discontent and frustration, but do so in hope that God, the God of the universe, will bring about his plans and his purposes as we courageously obey and wait for his perfect timing. Thank you so much for joining us today, for being a part of the Foundry Church in worship. We are honored and blessed to share this time in your homes. Hear this benediction as we go our separate ways. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Church, you are invited to not be in the building, but to be released on this world to share the good news of Christ in every way you can. If you need those weight books, you can pick them up right now. You are dismissed. Have a great week.